I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We have arrived, Pastor Howard. This well, is, that's an overstatement. But I'm, I'm not saying a big picture, but <laughs> on this clarify. topic, ah, uh, yes. we have come to the end of, of our quarter. first quarter of 2021. Our, we've been studying the whole lesson this time. has been about Isaiah. You watch that soundbite be taken out of context somewhere. Somebody said, we these guys think I've arrived. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not talking about salvational or anything not like that. Not just coming to the end of the quarter, but also... Mm -hmm. Your design of a new well, now. Let's have not put names to it and everything, but it does uh, look pretty nice. Yes, yeah. we're trying to up our game in every aspect here at Talking Points and our whole Sabbath School personal department. So you can up department. your game. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, this lesson touches on one of the best themes in all of the Bible, and that is the new heavens and the new earth, the culminating uh, high point of the end of Isaiah's prophecies. And really, it's the great hope of the Christian. And yes. so we're looking forward to this. And there's a lot to cover here. Uh, but before we do that, why don't we have, if you could give us a word of prayer, then we'll look over our talking points and break them down one by one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we are so thankful for the privilege of knowing you and your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, to have your word uh, that we can learn you better and uh, learn your ways and that the living and powerful word can transform our lives. We pray that you would bless us in its study. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, this week's lesson focused on two chapters in the book of Isaiah, and of those two, it was mostly in chapter 66. But our memory verse comes from chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, it says, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. There's been a lot of talk throughout this Isaiah thing of all the problems and difficulties and struggles of ancient Israel and the application today, but this is pointing forward to the new heavens yes, and the new indeed. earth. Which brings us to talking point number one, and that is that the new earth never gets old. Amen. <laughs> it is true, and it's also a fun, catchy title in the sense that we can talk about it a lot, and it will never age. It will always go on to eternity. That's the very nature of the For new For those earth. of you who have watched us talk about lesson prep, I said don't ever pick a talking point that is one of those evangelist titles. But Cameron, you know, because a lot of times the title isn't doesn't make a point. It just kind of hangs out there. Yeah. But Cameron has up the bar. That's right. And picked an evangelist title that is actually... It's point. accurate. It's, it's practical. Point. Exactly. The new earth never gets old. It's true and it's a good thing to talk right. about. Sunday and Thursday. That's drawing from Sunday and Thursday's lessons. Okay. okay. Uh, point number two is that judgment is necessary to eternal peace. We draw that from Monday and Thursday. Now that's going to be, I feel, the bulk of where our attention is going to be this week is that second okay, talking point. Okay, so two, point. both points one and two are drawn a little bit from Thursday. Yes. Well, this is the thing. You'll notice that there's a piece of Monday on two of our talking points and a piece of Thursday on mm -hmm. two of our talking points. And that's because those weeks, those days lessons actually have several subpoints in them. And some of the subpoints correspond with other days' subpoints. Yes. And so we thematically put those together to try to give an overview of what we're really talking about as a whole this week. So again, talking point number two, judgment is necessary to eternal peace. Okay. Finally, number three, while Christ ministers in heaven, which he's currently doing, we are to minister on earth. So while Christ is doing a work, we're to be working here as well. Again, a little bit of overlap, Monday to Wednesday. That's right. And that's the so, central theme of this week's And I bring lesson. up the overlap, just to reiterate the point we've continually made with talking points. Our goal is not to just walk through the lesson exactly. mon Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, what have you, but to draw out points from the lesson that may... So you may cover 
the same day, multiple times, drawing different points out. Exactly. Exactly right. So let's go to point number one. The new Earth... Let me rephrase that. Oh, I'm sorry. As you're covering the lesson in scripture, it may correspond with multiple days. Well, and again... The goal in teaching is not just to draw out of the quarterly, but draw out of the scripture. And again, the point is that this week's lesson is touches on Isaiah 65, but really digs into 66. So right. what we're really doing is studying Isaiah 66. Yeah. And the lesson just gives us some ways to do that efficiently. All right, well, let's dive in here to point number one, why don't you? Yes, the new earth never gets old. Yes, oh, I love it. Now, the truth of the new heaven and new earth is inherently inexhaustible, and it's hopeful. It's wonderful. Our eyes can look forward to it. We look past the, the gloom and despair of the sin-ridden earth and look forward to a sinless yes. and eternal, uh, beautiful place. Last quarters, if you remember this, you might be thinking, like, didn't we talk about yes. this just a little? And that's true. Last quarter, our topic was, remind folks, remember what the topic was? Education. It was education. We and we talked about eternity at the very end. And the new heaven's going to be eternally learning. Yes. And that's true. And it's this comes back. Isaiah closes his prophecy with a look at the new heavens and the new earth. And there's a reason that's the case, is we always want to be looking forward to the great hope of life eternal with Jesus Christ. It's well, we were talking about the old evangelist saying, you know, you've heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him uh, make him drink. Um, the evangelist saying adds a piece to that. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can salt his oats, right? <laughs> you make him thirsty. Amen. And while the Lord doesn't force salvation on anybody, he does do things to make us thirsty. And the study of the new earth is one of those things. Mm -hmm. And and that's why it was the end of the last lesson. And this lesson, the authors felt important to the contributors because this is one of those things that makes you want to be there. Amen. And this is a, a recurring theme, both Old and New Testament. For example, you, if you could look up 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, sure. I'll read Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, verse 11. 3. Chapter 3, yeah. verse 11, yes says, he has made, this is God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning right. to end. But the idea is that eternity has been placed by God in our hearts as something we look forward to. It, it's a, it's right. a need that we have that he has placed there. And similarly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2... I'm having all kinds of problems <laughs> with my pages here. Bible says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. And of course, that's drawn from the book of Isaiah in chapter 64, mm -hmm. and also 65 referenced in, in, in my reference Bible. We right, so the eternity that Solomon talked about, Isaiah prophesied, Paul revisits as an encouragement yes. for us to look forward to. And I don't know if you've had this, Pastor Howard, but it's just fun sometimes to sit back and think about heaven. Well, you take that passage that I just read. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart, or some translations say the imagination, the imagination of man. The mind. I always tell people, think big. Because yeah. it says it hasn't entered into your imagination. Well, I can imagine this. Well, it's got to we'll be go better. go from there. I can imagine this. Well, it's got to yeah, be better. Right. And yes. we, we are finite people, but we're promised an infinite gift. So I don't know what travel and learning and yes. relationships and, and communion with God will be like, like but whatever like, I can hey, think travel of is bigger at the than that. speed of thought. No. No. That's bigger. like, yeah, that's, yeah. Like taking, that's like taking a tricycle. Right. <laughs> now, when Isaiah was writing about this new heavens and new earth, right, Clearly, and we've talked about this before, there's dual application to his prophecies. So he's looking, you know, he's writing to a people who are, are wanting to be in that communion with God here on earth right. and have a, a, an established Israel. But it's it's got to be bigger than that if we're truly to put our hopes, you know, in the Lord. 
Sure, so a little bit of that dual application we've yes. seen in Isaiah where you have the local literal application, obviously the Jews coming back to their homeland being reestablished, mm -hmm. but as you're pointing out, um, this is bigger than that. In fact, right. if you've ever studied with a preterist, and a preterist is a person who believes that, that, that you know, we look at um, the prophecies in the Bible reaching into the future, mm -hmm. beyond us, the second coming of Jesus, where the preterist believes it's all been done. Like yeah. everything it's the Bible talks about is all ancient, done. Yeah. And so you say, what about those prophecies about the new earth? And this is it. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you might, it makes you want to cry. Yeah. So there's certainly more to it than yes. them going back to earthly Jerusalem. Exactly. And it, this is brought out in the lesson quarterly. Uh, at the bottom of Sunday, in the fourth paragraph, the last sentence says, Although the Lord's holy mountain would begin with Mount Zion at Jerusalem, it was only a precursor, a symbol of what God promises to do ultimately in the new world with his redeemed people. So, yes, ancient Israel could, if they were abiding by God's law, have a good life here. But even that life pales to what God's promising all the redeemed yes. in the heavens above. Now, one thing that lesson Isaiah does touch on and the lesson draws out is from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. Could you, are you there? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, 66, 23. Could you read that, please? And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Now, these new moons and Sabbaths are, are sometimes a point of confusion, uh, especially if you're not, you know, for Sabbath keepers, we think, aha, there's the Sabbath forever. And mm -hmm. it's just, and it's true, but essentially you pan out a little bit. What God is promising to do in the new heavens is create a new earth. Well, he mm -hmm. created the first earth with a Sabbath and apparently some monthly, uh, uh, I don't want to say rituals, but cycles yes. that what you think of the of course, the weekly Sabbath with the seven-day cycle, but then you have the fruit of the tree of life, which apparently, according to Revelation chapter 22, is every, also every a new fruit every month. And so where Eden is established in Genesis and you see it restored in Revelation, you see the Sabbath and you see that monthly, perhaps new moon reminder there. And I think the issue here is that this is a reference to the perpetuity of these worship cycles and this eternal nature of the new right. earth, that God's gonna have people who worship him, who are faithful, who every week and every month come before him throughout all eternity as a perpetual, uh, uh, I don't know, process that's just gonna keep going throughout eternity. Well, and then it speaks to the perpetual connection with God. God's not gonna mm. set up the new earth and then go off and do something else. Like mm -hmm. he's gonna dwell with his people and there's gonna be this regular eternal interaction with God. Beautiful. And all of that is which, again- Which points put to the new earth as being the center of the universe. It really is, yes. So, so all the universe is gonna to come to him. We're not gonna go out to them. They're gonna come before God and he's gonna make his dwelling with us. So again, all of that is inside of that first talking point that the new earth never gets old is an inexhaustible and hopeful theme. Now, there might be a temptation in your Sabbath school class to just go on about that for a long time. But you had an opportunity to do that at the end of last year. Exactly. Week. That should be gotten out of the way. <laughs> now, what we really want to drill into here is that second talking point. And this is not always one that people look forward to, but I find it a thrilling topic. Well, we'll see what it is. But it says, judgment is necessary to eternal peace. And let me just interject, coming off what you said, whether or not you find it a thrilling topic like Cameron does, it's a biblical topic that too often is overlooked. Right. I think and that is judgment. <laughs> in our pre, uh, 
you know, filming conversation, I made the comment about how there's the the saying is there's two there's two things nobody wants to see made right. laws and sausages. Yeah. You know, they just want the end product. And they don't want to see the gross part that gets it. And I think we sometimes have a view of the judgment and the destruction of the wicked and the new earth. Like, just get me to the the mansion, get me to the shiny part, get the right. the songs and the crowns. It's going to be great, and all that's there. But there is. But I a, don't want to watch the sausages. Exactly. I don't want to think about judgment <laughs> and and justice being doled out, the execution, the destruction. Yeah. Just kind of close my eyes. You take care of that, and I'll. Sure. And I somewhat get that. I get that. But the Bible, Old and New Testament, repeatedly comes back to the theme that intertwined with the joy of salvation. We're not just going to know about it. We are going to witness it. We're going to we be right have in it. To witness exactly. Part of God's great controversy plan. plan for the rede- redemption of the universe is our involvement with the destruction of the wicked. And that seems almost foreign to us, mm-hmm. but it's right there in scripture. So let's take a minute and think about how Christ judges and executes the wicked. Okay. First of all, uh, I make this point under the second talking point that Christ renders the verdict of everyone claiming his name in the heavenly sanctuary before he returns to separate the saved from the lost. And we've got several passages you well, can look at. Well, very quickly, up. and you didn't put it in the outline. I may add it in, but you just referenced really quickly in the lesson. Like on Monday's lesson, in the first paragraph, in the middle there, it says, Isaiah 41, God will comfort them, mm-hmm. but, he will, but he will destroy those who rebel against him. Yep. And then again, in the next paragraph, it says, following the destruction of his enemies, God reveals his glory so he can become a magnet to the... Yes. So, in, in, inseparably connected in this picture of the new earth is God's destruction of the wicked. And well, even further than the that, lesson exactly. In, 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 in Thursdays, it talks about the eternal great things we're going to enjoy, but the last paragraph asks the question, why does Isaiah end with the negative picture... I'm not sure that it's, I mean, it, it is negative. It's not pleasant mm-hmm. picture of saved people looking at the corpses of rebels destroyed by God. And you you would think that Isaiah would want to close out on a hopeful note, right? Yeah. But he ends in verse 24. That is a hopeful note. Exactly. But we had this idea it. that that's bad. Like they made a faux pas. I should have written it better. But no, he closes his prophecy with this verse 24 of chapter 66. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. Yes. For their worm does not die. And their fire is not quenched, and there shall be an, there, they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh that somehow wrapped up in the peace and joy of the redeemed is the destruction of the lost. How does that really work? Well, let me be clear that as Seventh Adventists, we understand from Bible prophecy that the judgment that takes place before Christ's coming does not involve us in any way, right. except for it, we're alive for it, but Christ before the host of the heavenly angels is determining who is saved and who is lost. So that when he comes again, he separates the sheep it from the goats. It involves us right? as the subjects of the judgment sure. in that context, but we're not involved in the right. process. It's, Christ is doing this work uh, under the Father's authority in the heavenly sanctuary while we're here on earth, right? Mm-hmm. It's separate from us in that sense. And we read in the Great Controversy, page 486, that at the time appointed for the judgment, that is the close of the 2300 days in 1844, began the work of investigation and blotting out of sins. All who have ever taken upon themselves the name of Christ must pass its searching scrutiny. Both the living and the dead are, ju- are to be judged out of the things which are written in the books according to their works. So Christ does this judgment, and in Revelation chapter 22, let me just give you this one real quick, verses 11 and 12, I think this is the most concise passage describing this work of what we call the pre-advent or before his coming investigative judgment. Where did you say we're going? Revelation chapter 22, Mm -hmm. 
verses 11 and 12. You want to read those two passages, please. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So notice that the coming is still not happening. It's still in the future, but it's quickly to happen. But there is a determination made, a recognition, if you will, Mm -hmm. of who is righteous and who is not. That's the pre-advent or investigative phase of the judgment. Now, what we we sometimes tend to think, all right, he's going to investigate. Then he's going to come again and it's all done. But the reality is that same book of Revelation also outlines a thousand-year period of time before the final destruction of the wicked, right? And it's in this phase of judgment. If you go to Revelation chapter 20, just one one page back. And incidentally, the wiping away of every tear from the eyes that's brought out in Revelation 21 Mm -hmm. is not until after the end of the thousand years. Exactly. So when we immediately go to heaven at Christ's return, it's not like everything is finished and we're just entering. There's still a process in place. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and I saw thrones. This is during the thousand years, right? And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Yes. And it's talking about the redeemed who now are going to sit with Christ and continue this work of judgment. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when I present this in classes, I say, now let's use a little process of elimination. Are the redeemed determining who's going to be saved or who's going to be lost? And the simple answer is no. Christ has already made that determination Mm -hmm. and separated the sheep from the goats. These are the redeemed who are now with him and the wicked have been destroyed by the brightness of his coming. So Mm -hmm. what's left to do? Well, there's not just the verdict phase of the trial, but there's the sentencing phase. That's what right. do you do about these wicked people, right? And uh, as unpopular as it may be, the wicked who are destroyed by the brightness of his coming are not yet destroyed. No, they have experienced They're be first death. Everybody, everybody who has died gets resurrected. Exactly. There's a resurrection of the just and of the unjust. And this is a theme, Pastor Howard, I'm just going to say it like this and leave it for the Sabbath school teachers to sort out, but too often we we neglect an appreciation and a study and a solemnity of the fact that Scripture repeatedly tells us that the redeemed will have a part to play, a role in that millennium judgment with Christ. For example, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says this, Therefore, this is chapter 4, verse Mm 5, he says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time. And he says what time it is, until the Lord comes. That means, judge not until then. Then you do. And he explains why. When the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. The idea being that you can judge then because you're going to have access to information that you don't have before. In fact, in the two chapters later, he says, rhetorically speaking, And you'll be transformed into a state of mind that will make you fair and impartial judge. (laughs) You have been glorified now. You're sitting with Christ in the heavenly realms. And thus he can write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will what? Judge the world. world. So, well, and it goes on to say, Mm -hmm. We will judge angels. Yes. Very clearly from implication, the angels who fell. Right, right. So. Yeah, and, and so what is this judgment all about? Well, it's, it's a necessary part of the purification of the universe and making sure it never goes back to sin again because 
as tempting as it might be to say, I just want to get my salvation and close my eyes and let Jesus handle everything. He says, no, I need you to open your eyes. I need you to watch. I need you to be part of this and understand it so that it will never rise again. Yes. And what's interesting in Revelation 20, uh, you see two different occasions when it talks about the millennium judgment, how the wicked are, are, are judged, quote, according to their works. Yes. That means that of my many problems, for example, Pastor Howard, with the, with the misunderstanding of an eternal burning hell, right? That there will be eternal conscious yes. torment of the wicked, right? One of the problems is, praise the Lord, it's not in Scripture. So that's the biggest issue. It's just unbiblical. But the reason it's unbiblical is because we have a sense of fairness inherently put mm -hmm. inside of us that if someone, even the worst diabolical evil sinner, sins for 70 years, is really the just fair judgment, 70 trillion, trillion, trillion unending years of conscious torment, mm -hmm. you don't have to be a Christian to recognize that's not fair, right? right? Also, it, it, it's, it's a one-size-fits-all, where according to Scripture, the reward of the wicked is going to be individual. It's going to be personal. It's going to be proportional to according to their works, what Scripture right. says. So, not only is eternal conscious torment unbiblical and outside of the character of God, it's it's a one-size-fits-all in the same way that an instant destruction would also be one-size-fits-all. Right. And I think sometimes when we talk about the wicked, we infer that they're all going to be blotted out instantly. Uh -huh. They're not going to... And that's not the case either. Right. We even have a sense of like that there are different cases requiring different sentencing, right? Well, you have Luke 12 referred to yes. in the lesson where it talks about those who are beaten with many stripes and those who are beaten with few. It's just impl imp implying... Right. Not beatings per se, but it's implying that there's going to be a different way of handling. And the each reason given, to his exactly. Work, and look at works. if you look at verse chapter twelve, and we're you're going to we're going to close it down here in just a second. But look at this. Here Jesus is speaking, uh, Luke chapter twelve, verses forty-seven and forty-eight. It says here, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. So the more he knew, the yes. more accountable he is, right? But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving a stripe, shall be beaten with right. few. So there's a differentiation of culpability and responsibility that's taken into account when it comes to the destruction of the wicked. And thus, why don't you read for us Great Controversy 660, when she describes this process. Yeah, it says, During the thousand years between the first and second resurrection, the judgment of the wicked takes place. At this time, the righteous reign as kings and priests unto God. In union with Christ, they judge the wicked, comparing their acts with the statute book, the Bible, and deciding every case according to the deeds done in the body. Then the portion which the wicked must suffer is meted out according to their works, mm. and it is recorded against their names in the book of death. So it's little surprise then when we get to the end of Isaiah, Mm -hmm. that it closes, yes, with the eternity that's provided for the redeemed and the destruction that's promised for the wicked. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who... The reason we have to look upon this process mm -hmm. is because Christ needs all the inhabitants of heaven to understand why sin just can't be tolerated or mm -hmm. quarantined or shoved in a corner or dealt with and mediated and compromised, it must be 
destroyed, ended. That's right. Because everyone understands. And I'll throw this out there. Now, we don't have it in the study notes, but it's just a thought that occurs to me. Well, in fact, we'll put Nahum chapter 1, verse 9. You'd mentioned yes. that. Why mm-hmm. is Nahum chapter 1, verse 9 so important? I, I sense it's God's greatest promise. Well, the promise Lord says, me. I will make an utter end. Yes. And affliction will not rise up the second time. So it's a promise of God. And I, I, looking on the corpses is imagery. Yeah. It's not that we're going to be looking on dead Actual bodies. Actual suffering through the it. The yeah. idea is that those corpses represent that the wicked are destroyed. There yeah. is no more. Mm-hmm. And then Nahum, you put that into that mix, affliction's not going to, God's going to make an utter end to it. There's not going to be some residual where sin's going to, Keep right. on going on or happen again. Are there any sinners left? God's just trying to give a very uh, a clear picture mm-hmm. of the final end of sin. Right. And if you read the last chapter of Great Controversy, when she describes this so richly, mm-hmm. at, it, at the close of time, even the wicked will recognize the fairness of God's process and the justice of their sentence. In As fact, the even Satan. Says yeah. in, in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee is going to bow right. and confess that the Lord is just. Yes, and in fact, in Isaiah, that's where that idea also was found, is that every knee will bow. And it didn't just say every righteous knee. Mm-hmm. It says every every that's tongue right. will confess. And it says, and those who are incensed against him will be ashamed. So everyone's bowing down, some in reverence and some just out of the sheer weight of evidence that this is right and just and fair. Yeah, and Revelation chapter 5, it says, or 15 rather, goes into the same thing. A text come to my mind that so we many. don't have time yeah. to go to, but that, that idea of seeing and confessing God's fairness. Yeah, it's pivotal yes. to the to the, to the ending of the sin problem. Yeah. Anyway, we have to go on. So while Christ currently, that's what we're looking forward to, is the new heaven and new earth and the yes. ultimate destruction of the wicked and everything being but made that right. New, your, point, your second point is that that new heaven and that new earth would be nothing if mm-hmm. the wicked weren't destroyed. Right, we have to go through that process yes. to get to the good stuff on the other side. So, point number three is that right now, while Christ ministers in heaven, we are to minister here on the earth. That's, that's and I want to close this study with an interesting parallel I noted between Isaiah 66 and Revelation yes. chapters 14. Now, as seven damages were probably well aware of Revelation chapter 14 being a description in the first five verses of the character of God's people, the messengers, and then, of course, starting with verse 6, the three angels' messages yes. that culminate with the second coming of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 66, we've talked about the new heavens and the new earth, the new moons, the Sabbath to its habit, the destruction mm-hmm. of the wicked. That's that other part. Right. That's how it culminates. But before that, it talks about the character of God's people in the last days and the message they are to bear. For example, can you read Isaiah, Isaiah 66? 66 verses 2 and 5? Yeah. Verse 2 says, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. And again in verse 5 he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. Mm, so it's talking about God's people who are, are faithful to his word and are humble and contrite in their spirit, right? 
Same thing in Revelation chapter 14. It talks about the, the character of God's people. It says in verse, uh, four, verse 4, for example, These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they have found fault before the throne of God. So both have a description of God's people being humble, obedient to His word, and their glory of the Lord is seen in them. That's right. And okay? then it goes on in verses 18 and 19 of Isaiah 66 to say, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Mm. I will set a, a sign among them, and those among them who escape, I will send to the nations to Tarshish and Pool and to Lud, and who draw the bow uh, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far off who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. So notice it's not just the people are good people by right. God's grace, but they're doing something and they're calling out to the Gentiles, to the whole world, to the coastlands, right? So he's calling to see all the glory of God. nation, tongue, and people to come and see the glory of God and then they're to go. Right. And in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, of course, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, right. saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and springs of water. Parallels again to Revelation 14 and Isaiah yes. 66. Christ's Object Lessons, page 415. Now, we shared this talk quote, about full circle. We shared this quote in our very first outline for mm -hmm. this quarter, and we're coming back to it here at the end. It says here, it is the darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. And if you look around, friends, there is certainly a misunderstanding and misappreciation apprehension of God. Men are losing their knowledge of his character. It has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message illuminating in its influence and saving in its power. His character is to be made known. Into the darkness of the world is to be shed the light of his glory, the light of his goodness, mercy, and truth. Those who wait for the bridegroom's coming are to say to the people, Behold your God, the last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. The children of God are to manifest his glory. In their own life and character, they are to reveal what the grace of God has done for them. So they're supposed to have a, a connection with Christ that can be seen by others, and there's a call to the right. whole world to come and, and give God glory. And that's what we believe Isaiah is describing here in the 66th chapter. From exactly. The verses we just read. So our concluding thought is found, it's the summary statement of, the, of Friday's lesson. It talks about how Isaiah presents a vision of staggering scope. Not only would God purge and restore his community of faith, but he would also enlarge its borders to encompass all nations. Ultimately, the recreation of his community would lead to the recreation of planet Earth, where his presence would be the ultimate comfort of his people. Amen. Amen. Pastor Howard, can you give us a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we are just so thankful again for the testimony of your word. We pray that we would be among those, Lord, who tremble at your word hmm. and would be those you could use in these last days to proclaim your glory to the nations, that they may see the glory of God and be saved. We thank you for the gracious invitation to salvation. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and that free gift that keeps giving. We thank you for your many blessings. We ask that you would be with those who are viewing and empower them, Lord, as they attempt to share your truth with others. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.